Amen. Amen. Wow. Worship uh, is awesome. Hopefully you felt the same. If you didn't, that's okay. Maybe you'll get it next week. But Jesus is amazing. He is to be elevated. Last week, actually, Chris Pletcher did a message. We kicked off this series called Kingdom Culture. And he talked about us elevating Jesus. Like the worthiness of Jesus. The fact that he has to have the first place in our hearts and minds. He cannot be part of our to-do list. He cannot just be plugged in as a big rock in our busy schedules. Jesus is preeminent. He is supreme. He is ultimate. Without him, there is no Christian life. Without him, there is no hope. He is the hope of the world. He gives us hope when we feel like there is none. But Jesus, when we worship, just so you know, it's not songs, it's not motions, it's not like listening to the radio where you kind of feel good and you feel like doing a little jig because that's kind of fun to do or whatever. No, worshiping Jesus is saying, you are worthy. You have everything. My praises, my, I, want to, I want to give you glory and honor and thanks. So when we worship as a people, whether it's by yourself and at your home or in a life group or you find yourself out at a park and just we're just going to start worshiping God together. You gather here on a Sunday morning. Whenever you have an opportunity to really sing to Him and to worship Him in that way, man, let your focus and attention be on Him. And listen, I'm just like you. There's lots of distractions in our lives. There's lots of hindrances. But there's something about just coming and saying, I'm putting all that aside. I'm just going to put my focus on Jesus. We started this series talking about how Jesus, He's the King. And often used the expression for us is, the kingdom of God is wherever the king is. The kingdom of God, like what is it, how do you describe it? It's wherever the king is. Because Jesus, wherever he shows up, he brings the kingdom. He would often come to people in the gospels and say, hey, the kingdom has come near to you. The kingdom of God is at hand when a healing happened or when someone heard a story or some breakthrough miracle or just something happened that, that Jesus, when he showed up and he present, was like, oh, he brought the kingdom right there. So we want to be a people that actually live out this kingdom culture. So that's what these four weeks are about, kind of unpacking kingdom culture for us as people, all right? Because we're not just we, don't want to just, we don't want to just be a group of people that go to a church. We want to be a kingdom culture-minded people. Because the kingdom of God has no walls. The kingdom of God is not limited by anything. The kingdom of God expresses itself anywhere that Jesus is present and alive. And you know what? He's alive and present inside of you and me. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, He's given you the Holy Spirit, and then that means you're never alone. You don't walk alone. You actually bring the kingdom of God with Him because He's with you everywhere. That's what we're called to do, to be a people. So Jesus is first, but today we're going to turn our attention to kingdom community. To community, right? Now, community is a nice buzzword. It's a word we all like to say, oh, I like this community. I'm part of this community. Right? In social media, we may be part of different communities. At, at A&M, you may be part of different organizations, which be classified as communities. You may be in a neighborhood. There's a community there. But let me just tell you, there's one community that will stand the test of time, and that's the church. All the organizations you are in, they weren't around 2,000 years ago. All the companies you want to work for, the stocks you trade, they weren't around 2,000 years ago either. Jesus established the church, and here we are today, 2,000 years later, and we get to fellowship and carry on the mission of God in our lifetime, in our day and age, in our society. That's what the church is. It is the oldest organization on the planet, and it's the best one. There's none that compete. I don't care who they are. Yes, we're not the wealthiest. I think Google and those guys are, you know, in terms of monetary earthly means. But we are the most prosperous, wealthy people ever because we have the most high king 
Remember, prosperity is not about the money and possessions. It's about your soul. If your soul is prosperous, man, you're in good company. So we're going to talk about the kingdom community. Let me do a little compare and contrast statements here between worldly community and kingdom community in case some of us are thinking, hey, what's the difference? Right? Because I like community, but what's the difference between a, a, a kingdom one and a worldly one? Worldly community gives status and popularity the best seat. But kingdom community shows no favoritism. Worldly community responds with revenge when wronged. But kingdom community responds with forgiveness. Worldly community says compete with your coworker, but kingdom community says serve your coworker. Worldly community honors the position, but kingdom community actually honors the person. Worldly community is centered on cultural trends, but kingdom community is centered on timeless biblical values. Worldly community says hide your faults and weaknesses so you don't get found out. But kingdom community says reveal them and find forgiveness and acceptance. Worldly community labels your wrongs for life, but kingdom community sees someone washed from their past and looks forward, not backwards. Worldly community finds values and worth in others' opinions, but kingdom community finds value and worth in Jesus. This community is talked about in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, to the Christians there. And in verse 19 through 22, he says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. But on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him. You also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You're being built together for what purpose? Into a dwelling place for God. You see, when the community is built rightly upon the chief cornerstone, Jesus, it allows the Spirit of God to dwell with us. Now, I want to unpack a few things here. In Ephesians 2, it says that we're no longer strangers and aliens. Well, in this biblical concept here, the concept of strangers, Paul using a term that was very normalized 2,000 years ago for people in that part of the world. A stranger was a foreigner who had no rights and no privileges. They literally were just there, but they were a foreigner. But an alien was actually a non-citizen who lived in the city, but had some basic privileges, some cultural privileges, you will. But a citizen, which he says here, we are citizens, members of the household of God, a citizen actually has full protection and rights. So when you are a citizen of heaven, when you are a citizen, a member of the household of God, what does that mean? It means that God the Father is saying, I'm giving you full benefits, full privileges, full access, full rights. Aliens and strangers don't get that, but a citizen does. A citizen of heaven, which means when you come into faith in Jesus, he invites you into being a part of the household of God. It says that Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. You know, if you were to build a whole house out of stones, you start with the one there in the corner, and it has to be perfectly symmetrical and laid just right, and everything else is built around it. Because if not, then it won't be squared up, and it won't be stable. But if that cornerstone is set right, the entire structure can actually be built off of it. That's why it talks about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. Then it says, join together, we grow into a holy temple. 
Now, in the Old Testament, they actually had the temple. They had a physical place in Jerusalem, and that's where the Spirit of God dwelt, and you had priests and different assignments there. And so you had there, and Jerusalem was the proper place to worship. But when Jesus came, he said, guess what? You no longer have to go to Jerusalem just to worship God because the Spirit of God is now going to come and live inside of you. And wherever you go, now all of a sudden, you now become these little temples all over the world that you get to gather and you get to worship God. And what he's emphasizing here is that part of the household of God is not just one person's household of God. It's the community of believers, which seems to indicate that to be a Christian means not only do you follow Jesus, but you're also part of a church. You're part of a fellowship. Um, it's not really optional. So if you have friends, they're like, hey, I really love God, but I'm not part of a Christian fellowship. I'm not part of, I don't do that thing with community, though, but I love God. You can tell them you're wrong don't really love God because God says if you love me you'll obey my commands and the Bible's full of opportunities and scriptures that talk about serving one another it's kind of hard just to serve yourself that doesn't really fit or love one another well love myself that, that that's not what it says you know how good and pleasing it is when I just dwell by myself <laughs> no no it's how good and pleasing it is when brothers dwell together in unity oh okay so there's people involved so whether you're a people person or not when you come to Jesus you just became a people person isn't that cool? You want a personality switch? Booyah, you get saved. And then now, all of a sudden, you're a people person. Because we were meant to be in community. You were never meant to be in isolation. And we know this because of what God was doing in the Garden of Eden. But before we get to that, I want to share a little bit of my journey the last six months of an adventure that I took on. Um, I took on the adventure called Building Your Own House. All right? I have a little bit of construction background. I graduated from construction science at Texas A&M and did construction for a little bit. And then my, my dad's a home builder in Austin. My brother's a home builder. I was going to follow in their footsteps. That obviously didn't pan out fully. And so here I am today. But I still have this thing in my heart. I want to build my house one day. I want to build it. And I had the access and, and connections with my, with my family to help kind of get me started on that. And so I took it on. You know, it wasn't the best timing in the world. We just found out we're pregnant with our fifth child. Uh, it was August when we started construction, and that's the start of the fall and how our city gets rolling around here. So it's a little busy, but we went for it. And um, let me just say, the last five months have been extremely humbling. <laughs> there has not been a week that has gone by that I have not made a major mistake. <laughs> um, it's been challenging. In fact, on our design, we really wanted to have this kind of curved, kind of swoopy deal on part of the roof. And it looked really cool on paper, you know, just so you know, like, architects draw things, and the builders actually have to build them. And you're like, uh, that, and so that was our mistake here. We kind of, oh, that's going to be awesome. You sure? Yeah, let's do that. And then the roofers get in, the framers, and it's all good, and get this big rain that comes down. I'm like, hey, the roof's on. We're good. And I go over to the house, and I'm like, my dining room is full of water. That ain't good. So I go up and look. Sure enough, it kind of swooped and it puddled and all this water trickled down. And thankfully, I called a buddy and said, hey, I need your help. you got to fix this. i got water coming to my house. No good. And so we fixed it. But hey, it was a little problem there that probably an experienced builder would have caught. There's been many other things I had made mistakes on. But here's what I know. Building a house the last six months has taken a lot of time, a lot of time. Mornings, evenings, and weekends. It's taken a lot of energy. It's taken a lot of emotional energy, mental capacity. It's taken a lot of effort. I have failed many times. I've succeeded at times. It is a lot of work to actually build a house the right way. And when you make a mistake, you actually got to undo it, change it, and then try it again. 
The household of God also takes a lot of work, just so you know. Building a community, right, even just in the family context, to actually raise a family, to build it upon the principles of Jesus, the values of the kingdom, to do it the right way, it takes a lot of work. Because you're training little human beings that are born to the world, very sinful and selfish and critical and angry and crying, and you have to develop them into amazing young little men and women of God. And that takes a lot of effort. Can I get any amens from parents? A lot of effort. And it takes a lot. And you're like, wow, I thought I was a great follower of Jesus until I had kids. <laughs> and I'm like, why do I get so angry all the time? Why am I, why are my buttons getting pushed? Did I just get offended by a four-year-old? I mean, do you know what I'm saying? You're like, wow. So everyone that thinks you've made it in Jesus, hold on, have kids. You'd be like, okay, I need to go back to Jesus a little deeper here. So actually, when you become a parent, you actually need more time with God, not less. Because, man, it's hard. It's hard. Right? And so building this house has been challenging and humbling in so many ways. But God has taught me so much through it. In fact, you know, when you, when you build a house, um, it starts with a foundation, right? It's the most important thing. And, and when you actually, when, right when you're about to pour the concrete, you actually take these kind of long anchor bolts and you put them in the concrete when it's still wet and it dries. And these anchor bolts are there so that when you actually start building up the framing of the house, those base plates actually, they drill holes and they sink those, those two by four pieces of wood into the anchor bolt so it anchors into the slab. If you build a house without the anchor bolts, the chance of that house standing when a storm comes are not good. Because it's not anchored to anything. It's just sitting on top of the surface. But you have to actually anchor it in. And so it got me thinking this past week, okay, Lord, what does this have to do with building the household of God? And the clarity from Scripture is this. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus, right? And so... If we are going to be the community of God, we have to be anchored into Jesus, right? And so how do we do that? We are the framing. The community, the kingdom community is actually the framing for the house. Because if you don't have framing, you can't actually do sheetrock and all the paint and all the fun light fixtures you want to hang up. They're not going to hang to anything. And the framing ain't done right. If it bows out or bends or has deflection in it, all of a sudden, then you're going to put the sheetrock on it. It's going to look all goofy. We're going to say, man, that wall looks strange and out of whack. It's not going to be right. But if you frame it rightly, if you space out the studs accordingly, then they can handle the proper load of everything else God wants to do. In fact, in studs, you see these walls over here, they're spaced at 16 inches on center. If you don't space them at that amount, you cannot handle the proper load that will be put on those walls with the sheetrock, paint, and the stuff above it. It can't handle it. If you space them at three feet apart, those walls aren't going to last very long. But if you do it right, if you build the house in the right way, with the right measurements and the right values in a sense, then all of a sudden that structure can not only be a place for God to dwell, it's a place for others to come in. In the same way as a tree grows a little sapling and grows into big oak tree, it's there to house and to make a place, a resting place for many other things. That's what we're doing here as a church. We're not building something just for our benefit. We're building something so that not only can we honor and glory God, but also so we can actually bring others into the house and they can be ministered to and met by God as well. Amen. All right, so I've got my builders over here. So guys, come on up. Bring wall one here. I decided to kind of sear this illustration in your minds. We're literally going to construct this wall on stage, all right? So wall one, each wall represents a kingdom value that we want to see expressed in this church and this community, okay? So this is when you start taking notes, all right? Look at two neighbor with the wall. It is two by fours in wood. You've seen it before. But here it is. So this wall one right here, 
is vulnerability. All right? Now, my good friend Jarrett, me and him built these at lunchtime the other day. I think they're somewhat square, but if not, don't judge us. But the thought is they're supposed to be square. Okay. So, wall one is vulnerability, right? So, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they experienced three things. Fear, isolation, and shame. And the beginning of time, right? Adam, the first person created by God. He then says, hey, it's not good for man to be alone, so bring on the woman. Now we got Adam and Eve, so there's my case in point for community, right? God literally said, before sin entered the picture, it was not good to be alone. Which means certainly after sin has entered the picture, it's certainly not good to be alone. So there's the case in point right now for community, for all your Christian buddies that aren't really following Jesus. Okay. So Adam and Eve, they experienced fear, isolation, and shame. In fact, this is what it says in Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. What's Adam's response? I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Fear, isolation, and shame. Those three things will create barriers for us being fully known by God. And those three things will create barriers between you and being fully known by people. Fear, isolation, and shame is what Adam experienced in the very beginning as soon as they ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And that's what rushed in. That's what sin does, guys. Actually, one of the main purposes of sin is actually to separate and divide. Divide you from God, which it does intrinsically. Divide you from other people. Shame, I'm shameful, I don't want to engage there, I don't really want to open up. Marriages happens all the time. Fear, isolation, and shame, you just label those three and just say, hey, I wonder what's going on in this relational conflict, and I bet you can peg it with one of those. But in the household of God, we're meant to be a community that is vulnerable, that is open to each other. You know, my children will like to play hide-and-seek at times, right? Some of us adults like to play hide-and-seek, it's kind of fun. But my children play hide-and-seek, and so they'll say, Dad, all right, you're going you're gonna to come find us. So my children go around the house, you know, I know my house. I know where all the little nooks and crannies are. I know the good hiding spots. So they go high, though, and their goal is to really find a really great hiding spot where Dad doesn't find them for at least about 60 seconds. Okay? But after about 60 seconds, you start hearing some giggling. Or <laughs> like, shh. And they're like, Phew. you know, they'll like make little noises. Now, why do they do that? Are they really trying to hide from me for a long time? No. They want to be hiding just for a little bit because it's kind of the game. But all my children actually want to be found. And when I find my children, do I find them and are they scared? Oh, you found me. No. They are giddy, waiting for daddy to find them. Like, did you see my spot? Yeah, it was good. I could see half your body outside the blanket. (laughs) Dead giveaway. You know, the the classic is the hiding behind the curtains. You know, and they're like moving their feet, their little legs, the curtain like, curtains are moving, you know, and they're so cute. Don't tell me I said that. Okay, but it is so fun. I love finding them. It is so fun. I'm like, where are you, Ethan? Where, hey, Evelyn, where'd you go? She's giggling, you know. And I go find her, and I give her a big hug. And like, okay, let's do it again. Children want to be found out. But, you know, children haven't experienced all the pains and life experiences that you have. 
And what happens over time is you actually build up a bit of a residue that starts saying, maybe I should just hide a little longer. Maybe I should actually distance myself. I don't know if I should be found out because I don't know what they're going to say. And Maybe you've had a bad experience with your father. You've had a bad experience with a friend who just rejected you. Can I just say, you know, those experiences, those aren't kingdom. That's sinful people responding in a sinful way. But in the kingdom of God, we're supposed to be people that actually are found out. I mean, it encourages us. It encourages us to be found out. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Guys, can I just tell you that when you're vulnerable with your life, and when that value is expressed clearly in this church community, there is nothing to hide. You have nothing to fear. But if you're hiding sin, if you're hiding your past, if you're hiding your true thoughts, it's only going to get worse. But Jesus said what? He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Isolation, fear, and shame is darkness. But the light exposes it and says, hey, I see you for who you are. I see you for who you are. Come, run to me. Come, ask forgiveness, and let's start over. Let's start fresh. My children just had to repent to me at the end of the last service. I get down, come down the stage. Ashley says, hey, I need you to talk to the boys. They had to repent to me for something that they did this morning. And they were wearing it. And I had a choice to make right then and say, hey, guys, I forgive you. What you did, though, it's a, we're going to have to figure that out, how we fix that and do that stuff. But I forgive you, and I want you to know I will always forgive you. You always come and run to me. Every time you do something right and wrong, I want you to run to me. I don't want you to run away when you do something wrong. You only run to me when you do something right. You see, the kingdom way is actually you come to the Father no matter what you've done. And the kingdom community is to reflect that. Hey, bro, you come to life group no matter where you've been this week. Hey, man, you show up. You show up to the establishment no matter what you've done or where you've been. The worst thing you do is to hide and to run. But we're trained in our culture to carry the shame and just hide things. That's not the kingdom. So the first wall is vulnerability. The second wall is generosity. Generosity. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now as they're putting this wall together over here, you know, as they're attaching these walls, I want you just to understand the illustration of the fact that it's all these things working together. It is not just one thing. It's actually everything being put together. In fact, um, a couple years ago, as they drill, drill this in, a couple, couple years ago, my parents, they actually called me and they said, Hey, Tyler, um, you've got some boxes in our attic. They were moving, and I said, Boxes? I'm like in my 30s, and why do I stuff in my parents' attic still? What's going on? And you know what it was? It was all my trophies and ribbons from like elementary school. Don't be that impressed. Um, in fact, my parents forced my brother, sister, and I to do a swim team because I was afraid to swim. So my brother and sister, my brother always hated me. He's like, man, because of you, I had to wear a Speedo, you know? It's like his thing with me. Hey, bro. Sorry, man. I was scared to swim. I can swim now. But at the time, you know, I, I did all the normal sports like lots of us do, just kind of that kind of stuff, you know? And the reality is, is I got lots of ribbons and medals. The majority of them were green colored, which means thanks for participating. Um, blue and red actually means you did something. But, you know, I had all this stuff. And let me ask you, if I brought these up here and laid them out today and showed you my plethora of awards, would you guys be impressed? No. No, you'd laugh at me like, what are you doing? I mean, what? Why? Because that's from like fourth grade. 
Nobody cares what you did in fourth grade with your medals, right? It's like, ooh. And now, why? why? Why don't you care? You don't care because over time, those things of the past, they just don't have the value. They, they don't carry the same value. And in fact, it says here in Matthew 6 that all the stuff, whether it's clothing or house, things we do and have, all the stuff, we're not taking with us to heaven, by the way. There are no suitcases on your way to heaven. But one person said this, the currency of heaven is the souls of men. Meaning that relational investment is what I believe Jesus is talking about. He's, yes, he's talking about money and finances too, but I think he's also talking about would you store it for yourselves, a relational deposit into God and the people? That's really what matters at the end of the day. So again, it's people first, not things first. Maybe to illustrate it this way, um, many of you are college students in the room. And uh, how many freshmen we got? Come on, shoot your hand up. Be proud. We got some freshmen. Come on. Way to go. Hey, you're in church. That's awesome. Um, so as a freshman, um, your parents drop you off. And your parents may have dropped you off. Maybe you drove here by yourself. And some of them had tears. You know, some didn't. They held them back. And dad's like, don't cry in front of them. Just let's drive away. You know, whatever goes on. And, um, but here's what I've never heard. I've never heard a parent say, John went to college, man, got to go to college. We spent way too much time together the last 18 years. I mean, we saw way too much of you the last 18 years. In their heart, no way. You know, like all parents look back and say, you know, reality is no matter how busy we were, I wish I had a little bit more time. A little bit more time, you know. And that is, that's got to be our heart. That, that, that generosity has to flow to we say, actually, it's a relational investment with people. And, you know, we're a, a community that actually wants to value generosity because God's a generous God. So, like, everything we're talking about is because this is who God is. He set the standard for us, and we're just receiving that, and then we're outputting that as a people. And it has many expressions, right? I mean, generosity can be um, giving uh, money or, or stuff to someone in need. It can be supporting someone on a mission trip, so it can have monetary implications. But generosity can also be your time and your energy, which we all can give. We can all give time and energy. We can all serve somebody else. And in fact, I would say that if you've been part of this community, if you've been part of this church for six months plus, and you've been here and all you've done is attended on Sundays, I'm challenging you to go a little deeper. Because it's for your benefit. The illustration I would say is this. Um, my children, I have four with the fifth coming. If for the next 18 years... Um, I did the dishes, the laundry, cooked food, mowed the grass. If I paid all the bills, if I did everything for them, and all they did was just to wake up, and I even brushed their teeth at 16. Hey, let me brush your teeth, buddy. I helped put their clothes on when they're 17. I did everything for them. They never had to learn to do anything but just to eat and sleep and just follow along. Then when they're 18 years old, they look back and say, Mom and Dad, what would you do to us? We can't even function you made us believe that this was what it was like to be a part of family. And you deceived us. Because a family actually has responsibilities. A real family actually participates. A real family is not mom and dad doing everything. Even though the heart is to, I want to take care of my kids. But taking care of your kids does not mean you do it all for them. Because then they graduate from high school and they're still kids. At 18, you should be adults. So some of you didn't get that kind of training. And I wish you did. But you can start now. You can be ravenous and learning new things from people and hunger to say, I want to learn and get stuff I didn't get before. But as a church community, if you are part of this church and you only take, 
you're missing. You're missing what God has for you. You have to be a giver. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about giving of your life. Because God's deposited something in you of worth and value that we need. We need you to serve with kids, or we need you to serve someplace in the city. We need you to step up here. If you can play an instrument and you've been nervous, we need you up here. We have so many worship opportunities during the week, we can't find enough people. If you're saying, man, I don't like kids, and I would say, go serve with Kingdom Kids. Because God likes kids, and you should too. It's like, okay, wow, I need to do that. It's like, remember, life's not about what we want to do. It's about what he's asked us to do. So we want you to be generous. Be generous people. I love our life group leaders, but can I be honest? 50% of our volunteers at this church are life group leaders that are already life group leading and volunteering. Which means for some reason we're in that worldly um, place of the 80-20 rule. Where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And we want to change that now. Because you're missing. You're not going to go deep in God if you don't serve people. That's, I mean, Jesus came what? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. That's what he came to do. So if you really want to follow Jesus, then just do what he did. That's what we have to be as a people. Generosity is a key piece of this community. But a third piece is honor. Is honor. As they bring this wall up, I just want to mention something about generosity. Here's going to be a question you can ask yourself. You might want to write this down. It's kind of a heart check question. Um, do I look for ways to give without expecting anything in return? You know that God's put the value of generosity in your heart if you look for ways to give your life away and to give of things without expecting anything in return. So this third wall is honor. So what does a culture of honor look like as they assemble this up here? Well, it starts with every person having value. Even here, right? You got two guys holding the, holding the wall. You got Jarrett popping these screws in. All three of these guys have value. But it's not value just because of what they're doing, right? Because like I said earlier, a lot of times worldly value is only placed on your position or your skill sets. But in the kingdom of God, we actually want to place value on the people. We want to place value on people. So, so what, what, is, what does honor look like? It looks like this. You going to someone and saying, this is what I see in you. This is what I see in you. This is what God sees in you. Can I place honor in you? Can I place value on you? Can I call the gold out? A lot of times we say that. It's, it's saying, man, God's, dep- God's deposited gold in every single person. How can we call that out, call that forth? You know, Mother Teresa, she got the value of honor. She lived it. In the 1950s, she was in Calcutta, India, starting a ministry, and she um, asked the Indian officials if she could take over and abandon Hindu goddess temple. And they said, okay, so let her take it over, her and the missionaries. And you know they made it? They made it a home for the dying. Their whole goal, it doesn't matter what faith, what religion, but a lot of people who came were very poor. And in India, you have all sorts of classes. And these people were in the lower economic class, seen as really worthless and no value at all. And they would take them in and feed them and tend to them as best they could medically. And many people just died. It was kind of their last days. But it's so they could place dignity on the people. Because it wasn't about what your success is and where'd you work and who do you know. It's about you're a person that God sees, that God loves, and we want to place dignity on your life in these last days. And many of those people had never had value and worth placed in their lives ever until the very end. You know, we are called to be a people to share the hope that's within us. And if you have hope in Jesus, then you can actually give that hope away in the form of honoring people. 
Honor celebrates who somebody is without stumbling over who they are not. Honor celebrates who somebody is without stumbling over who they are not. Can I just say that all of us have the places in our lives where we just have problems, we have issues. And we could probably call those out, especially being married. It's really easy to point out everyone's faults. Because you live with them 24-7, you get to see the good, bad, and the ugly. But marriages aren't built on calling out the faults, are they? Nor is a friendship. No. It's built on calling them up and encouraging them. And can I just say, when you encourage and build people up and strengthen them, they actually internally want to take care of the faults. Does that make any sense? Like, <clears throat> if you'll encourage them, like, for instance, in baseball. I coached these kids' baseball teams last fall. I didn't need to go and correct their swings all the time. We need to tell them is, hey, buddy, just keep your eyes on the ball. Keep swinging. Come on. You can do it. Keep swinging. Try again. Just, hey, time it up. You're good. Just keep going. And you know what happened? These eight-year-old boys would actually course correct their swing by themselves. So I just kept encouraging. They're like, okay, I can do it. He's saying I can do it. I can hit it. Okay. And they actually started thinking, I need to slow my hit down. I need to swing earlier. I need to. These are seven, eight-year-old boys. And they were actually correcting themselves because I encouraged them. But a lot of times we think, oh, I just need to correct, 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 and then everything will get fixed. Man, God calls us to honor people, to pull them up. There's no one I've ever met that's like, man, I just get too encouraged and honored every day. I'm so bloated with honor. Man, stop encouraging me. It's too much. No, there's not a person that planted like that. Because we're going to live in a fallen, broken world that doesn't honor. And if our fallen, broken world does honor, they honor because they want something in return. Which, biblical honor, is not what can I share with you to get something out of you. It's honoring them because God loves us, honors us, and we are to then dispense that out to people. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with, that, with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. Man, what if we did that charge at church? Hey, here's the kingdom culture. We're going to one-up people and honoring people. I'm just going to start honoring. I honored four today. Oh, six. Okay, I'm going to eight. Come on. I mean, what if we made a game literally just how can we, how many people can I honor and encourage this week? I mean, what if all thousand of us that have been here today on a Sunday or 1,200 of us, what if we all just said one person this week, I'm going to honor? What if you approach your professor? Hey, I just want to honor you. Not because I want a better grade. Not because he wants you to like me, but because God sees something in you, and I want to call it out. What if you um, talk to a coworker? You're a waiter or waitress at a restaurant. I know it's a, it's a tough world sometimes, and you get to honor them. Hey, you've been so faithful to take care of your tables well and to really honor people, and you're a great worker. I want to learn from you. And then you're like, whoa, what? People aren't sure what to do when they get honored. What if at your staff meeting this week at your company, you just said, hey, can I just share something? And you say, God, give me something to honor my boss. Hey, boss, we want to honor you just for the work you put in and how you lead us. And again, you're not saying all the faults. There's things wrong about your boss. But you're calling out the things, the golden hymn, that no one else is focusing on. But you are because you're a kingdom person. This is who God's called us to be. We've got a shift in our mindset in doing this as a people. Amen? Hey, Wiley Adair, can you stand up? Wiley, um, just as I was preaching, just the Lord just highlighted you, man, just to honor you. And, um, you know, throughout the years, you've been a faithful man to this church. And you've been faithful to Jesus through many trials and challenges. 
I just want to honor you for, um, for being a man that really does go after God's heart. I have seen you in your life be a man just like David, who's pursuing the heart of God. Even though there's challenges around you and circumstances, but you're one who pursues the heart of God. And I want you to know that God sees that pursuit. He honors that pursuit. And also just get a sense of the Lord saying that he wants to honor the way that you um, take your job on seriously. While he's a firefighter, and it's a tough world to be a firefighter, and that the, that the kingdom you're bringing into those stations and into those men on those shifts, it matters. And that he's to encourage you that you are not seeing the fruit that you're longing for, but it is coming. You just keep sowing. You just keep sowing. Thanks for being a man of honor. Love you, brother. Now, why did you guys clap? It was right. Like it was right to do so. Did I have a clap sign? No. Did, did I honor Wiley so that he'll come to life group more? Did I honor Wiley because I need him to get more money to the church? Did I honor Wiley because I need a favor from him? No. That would be unrighteous. I honored Wiley because God just said, you need to honor Wiley. So I did. I'm not expecting Wiley to come back and honor me later either. Or even say thanks. That's what it's like to be a people of honor. We honor because it's right to do so. And we celebrate who people are without stumbling over who they are not. That's what God's called us to. And there's something inside of your soul and bones that just woke up when he got publicly honored, isn't there? There's something inside of you that said, shouldn't there be more of this? And I'm telling you, if each and every one of you would actually take the initiative to do it, then that's a thousand people this week that just got honored and they're not really sure how to handle it. And you want people to come into the kingdom of God? Don't stand on the street corner preaching the gospel. Go and honor them and then they'll be drawn to know what is it that you have? Because I need that. You can say, it's Jesus. They're like, sign me up, I'm in. When people get ministered to by the Spirit of God, but through us, because God works through his people, then people are drawn to Jesus. He is so attractive when they experience his power. When they experience his power. And guys, he's equipped you to have that power to transmit to someone else so they would be drawn to him. The last wall is this. It's the wall of love. So we wrap up here. This is what pulls the whole community together at Pulls us together, right? Paul said, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Love is the linchpin in this whole deal. And love is unconditional. It's unconditional. And in John 13, 34 through 35, it says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. They got it in. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See, now you guys know how to build a wall. You see, kingdom culture is established by us loving one another. Going back to the reality of you can't really follow Jesus fully and completely unless you are loving other people. It is the, the greatest commandment in Scripture. It's what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
And the second is this, to love your neighbors yourself. They are pulled together. And guys, Jesus is saying, they will know you are real disciples, real followers, by the way you love one another. Is there real love in our hearts? Is it superficial? Is it conditional? Because the world can love conditionally pretty good. But what about unconditional love? What about no favors, no returns, just I love because I've been loved? I want us to stand as we end our time. Band, make your way up here if you would, please. You know, back in August, many of you are aware of Hurricane Harvey that came, crashing to our shores, and it devastated a lot of homes. Some people lost their lives. Um, but the worst flooding that we're ever aware of that's happened in this state, half of you are probably from the Houston area and were really affected, your own homes maybe. But when it happened, we were trying to wrestle through, what do we do? What's our response to the church? We're an hour up the road, you know. And um, I remember we, we pulled together as a team and said, hey, let's just call the church on Saturday morning. Let's go. Just everybody's out for it. Let's just, come on, Saturday morning. Who wants to gather? Let's go to Houston. We'll figure it out. So we put the call out on like Thursday afternoon. About 280 of you showed up Saturday morning at 6.30 a.m. We showed up. We had some crowbars, some gloves, <laughs> some masks. They said, guys, this is the only time today you're probably going to get thanked. The people down there are in shock. And most people went to go help in their 70s and 80s, the elderly, and who couldn't really do much of the work themselves. And I said, guys, but we're going to go not because they're all asking us to come. We're going to go because there's a need. And, you know, we're going to go in love. And I hope that every single one of us works harder today than we've ever worked knowing that you'll get no thank you, no money, no earthly reward in that sense. But that you're going to get to go sacrifice and give your Saturday to someone else who's in desperate need of help. And I just want to say that that day's experience, it changed me, and I think it changed our church. 280 of us marched into Houston. We got our assignments, went to about 20 homes. And the one home I was at, we were there, and the wife was in shock. They're probably in their upper 70s. They've been in this house for about 40 years. And the husband, he's older, and he was trying to help. He thought he could do everything, and he almost fell over a few times from his exhaustion. And he's just, you know, he's a man just trying just to do it himself. We're like, sir, we're here to help you. We're here to help you. We're here to help you. We, we came here for this. Look at us. We're young. We can do this stuff. We loved on them. We got their house, and I told our team, and said, guys, we are not leaving until this house is done. We will not leave until this house is gutted the right way. And can I just say to honor this community, I got a phone call after we went down there from the pastors at Antioch Houston. They said, hey, we want you guys to know this. One, we're so grateful just for the work y'all did. But y'all's church, every one of the houses you guys were at, you guys got the work done in a day. You completed it in four to six hours when it took other teams two or three days. And you know, that was one of the prouder moments, I don't know why, in the last eight and a half years of my heart, that we as a people could go down sacrificially without being thanked, showing up, surprising people, serving people that we will never see again. And to say, this is the love of God. We're going to show up and invade your world and to bless you and to love you abundantly. And then we're going to load up and head back home. But I want you to know that we value you. We see you. We want to help you. And I think it changed some of us, didn't it? To say, man, I got to go, and then we were filthy. A ton of us got sick after that from just sicknesses and diseases. It was a nasty sheetrock, wet kind of day. 
But man, it was so rewarding, wasn't it? There's something in our soul that it said, this is right. This is what we're made for, to give our lives away, to serve each other, because the currency of heaven is the souls of men and women. It's the re relational investment we give into people. So as we enter our time of worship, I just want to invite you to understand that this wall we've built of vulnerability and, and, and generosity and honor and love, that these four walls, that if we pull these together, this will be a dwelling place for God. It'll be a place where the Spirit of God can dwell with us, continue to move in our midst, where others are blessed and encouraged and brought in. And we're not building this just for us. We can stay in here and hang out. That's not what we're doing it for. We build a place where there's a structure for people to dwell, to be encouraged and blessed. And I want you to know, if you're here at this church, we're asking you to join with us and be part of this. Don't be on the outside looking in. Don't just say, I hope they build that community well. Say, no, I'm gonna build it with them. This cannot be the leader's idea. This is our idea. It cannot be, I go to that church. This is my church. If you think that it is ours and it is mine and it is a we thing, then all of a sudden we are a kingdom community instead of just one that talks a big game. So here's how we're gonna end. We're just gonna have the worship team lead us in worship. Have some of our life computers make it way down here. If there's anything God's doing in your heart this morning, if there's something he's nudging you, he's saying, you know what? There's a place of honor that I don't have. I need to receive that so I can give it away. Maybe you're not feeling a lot of worth and value this morning. I don't know. Maybe you're discouraged by past experiences. I don't know. Or maybe just saying, you know what? We just talked about honoring. I love someone just to encourage me and pray over me because I just need some encouragement this morning. I don't know where you're at. But I want you to come up. If you're here this morning, come on. Come get ministered to. Allow the household of God to do what the household of God is meant to do, which is to minister to one another. Amen. All right, Jesus, we thank you. We love you, we cherish you, and we just ask you to be with us right now. Be with us, move, Lord, just come and dwell with us, move in our hearts. Change us to be more like you, in Jesus' name.